sermon text for this morning is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 25. And for context, and so we remind ourselves of, of, of what the author is getting at in, in these two verses this morning. I want us to read the broader context found in verses 19 through 25. And there we read, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As we've noted in the past couple of weeks, the inspired author here organizes this passage and three exhortations, and they're very clear in the verses. First is, let us draw near to God, in verse 22. Then, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, we see in verse 23. And thirdly, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, verses 24 through 25. And it's this third exhortation that we will be considering this morning the exhortation found in verses 24 through uh, 25. And as we begin, what we see in our text so clearly is that these exhortations are based upon what is true of us in Christ. As we said last Sunday, these are imperatives that are grounded in indicatives. And Just as a reminder, the indicatives in the Bible are the things that are true of all those who have faith in Christ. We might say that uh, the indicatives are the facts, the truths that explain our present reality as Christians. But when we talk about imperatives, uh, those are different The imperatives in the Bible tell us what we must do as a result of what has been done for us through Jesus Christ. See, indicatives explain what has been done. Imperatives explain what we must do. And as we look again at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, the indicatives are very clear. The first indicative we see is that Christ has accomplished our salvation. Verses 19 through 20, we read about the new and living way that Jesus has opened for us, that by his death he accomplished our salvation, and so then we can now draw near to God. He has opened a way of access by his death, a way that before was closed to us because of sin. Secondly, we see that Christ is our risen and ascended great high priest. This is the second indicative. Verse 21, 
and since we have a great priest over the house of God. See, we see here that we have an advocate in heaven in the presence of the Father. And that advocate is a true man. The Heidelberg Catechism explains it this way, that we have our flesh in heaven. That we have before the Father now one who is like us in every way, yet without sin. One who we can call a brother. And the Lord's Supper that we are celebrating this morning is our reminder this morning that he is there. And that this morning, as we will partake of the Lord's Supper, we will be communing with Christ who is in heaven. We have there, beloved, one who is like us in every way. And so these two indicatives, that he has accomplished our salvation and that he is now in heaven interceding for us, being our advocates, ruling and reigning over us, this is what is true of us. And so, loved ones, what we are encouraged to this morning and what we are exhorted to is to consider the consequence of Christ's work for our fellowship, for our church, for our communion together as brothers and sisters in him. See, we are to consider this morning what Jesus has done in the past, what he is doing for us now, and how those two things must affect how we interact with one another, how we fellowship with one another, how we are, are the church here at Grace Presbyterian. See, loved ones, the text is very clear. that It's not like uh, Jesus is doing his uh, thing in heaven and we are doing our thing down here as a church and those two have... Uh, no connection with one another. But in reality, one flows out of the other. See, the ground of our connection with each other is our union with Christ. We know from the Bible that every believer is united to Christ. That by the Holy Spirit and by faith, we are spiritually connected to everything that Jesus has done for our salvation. We are connected to him in his death, in his resurrection, for we will be raised like him. We are connected to him in his glorification, for we will be glorified as he was glorified. Um, All these things are true of us because they are true of him. And we are in union with him, that every blessing that he receives is a blessing that we too enjoy through Christ. And it's that union, loved ones, it's that union with Christ our Savior that is the foundation of our union together as the body of Christ. That is the foundation of our union together as brothers and sisters in him. See, this is why the church, why the church is more than merely a club or uh, an organization with superficial membership. I, I'm a member of Costco, as I'm sure many of you are. Um, some of you might be uh, members of different organizations. You might have a gym membership. Right? And while these memberships have their own requirements and their own benefits, church membership is entirely different. You can't compare church membership with these other types of memberships that you might hold to. 
Because what unites us as a church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, is not some superficial uh, temporary benefits. But what unites us as Christians is Christ himself as we are united to him by the Spirit. See, it's not a superficial reality. It's a supernatural reality that we are one in him. We are his body together. We are brothers and sisters in him because of his finished work on our behalf. We are the family of God. And so how should we then live, brothers and sisters? What does that mean for us as on a daily basis as the church? What we see in our text in verses 24 through 25, that we are first to stir one another up. I'm going to read verses 24 through 25 again. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We see there in verse 24, the word consider is used. This is a significant word because it means to, to pay a thoughtful attention to something, to look closely at it, to, to give it a lot of thoughts. This means that as brothers and sisters in Christ, in this local body of believers here at Grace, we are to think about one another. And not to think in a judgmental way, in a critical way, but we are specifically called here to think about how to stir one another to love and good works. That's an interesting phrase if you look at it, the term stir up. It's interesting because it means to provoke. And sometimes it's used negatively, like provoking somebody to evil. But in this context, it's stated positively that we are to provoke each other to love and good works. Whether it's in how we speak to one another, in how we live our lives, how we make our decisions. Scripture here is instructing us that all of these can work toward us influencing one another, provoking one another to love and good works. And the good works here is not a reference to uh, something meritorious, as though these good works will add to our salvation, but what we see is that these are good works that are flowing out of our being in union with Christ. These are good works that flow from an active faith in Jesus Christ. And so how might we then provoke one another, stir one another up, entice one another to love and good works? What we know from Scripture is that this can be done by our actions. So often what we do is seen by others, and so we have an influence over others by our actions. By our own good works, we entice others to do the same. The love we share within the communion of saints is, when we think about it, not just emotion or a spiritual abstraction, but it's tangible, it's visible by our actions, by our deeds. It's practically displayed as we lovingly share our gifts and our graces with one another. You know, God has blessed each of us with 
natural abilities, with spiritual gifts, with material resources. These are all tangible things that are evident, that are seen. And these are meant to be shared with other believers in Christ. See, loved ones, God has not blessed us as a church and as individuals with gifts and graces solely for our individual benefit, but he has blessed us with gifts and graces for the well-being of all of us, each brother and sister in Christ here at Grace. At this principle that the communion of the saints means sharing our gifts and graces gives every believer the holy duty to do all the good we can for one another, to be positively seeking out one another's good. This could be something like an elder uh, using his gift of teaching for the spiritual benefit of the congregation. And it is such a blessing, is it not, to meet for Sunday school and an elder who has spent 5, 10, 15 hours during the week preparing a lesson. And during that 50-minute class, we all are blessed by uh, the fruit of his labors. It could be a church member uh, with the ability to play an instrument that then leads us in worship on Sunday morning. Or a church member with a truck helping to transport supplies to one of our church picnics. All of these loved ones are very tangible ways that we influence one another toward love and good deeds. But there's also a way that we can stir one another up, not just with our deeds, but also with our words. We can stir one another up in a good way by speaking well of one another and building one another up with our words, and that way we provoke one another to be who we are in Christ. Secondly, we see in the text that we are to meet together regularly. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. As we consider this exhortation, it's interesting to note that one of the practical implications of our being united to Christ is our regular fellowship with one another, our regular gathering as a church. Why do you think it was the habit of some of the Hebrew Christians to neglect meeting together for worship on the Lord's Day and for fellowship during the week? Why, why do you think that the writer of Hebrews gives this specific exhortation? Well, it's because, as we know, they were, in the first century context, facing a persecution because of their belief in Christ. They were facing persecution from Roman government, from uh, fellow Jews who had not converted to Christ. Uh, These Hebrew Christians were raised in the Jewish faith. They had now left the synagogue. They had left temple worship. They were worshiping on their own. And as a result, they were facing opposition and rejection and all kinds of hardships. And their temptation was to pull away from the church and to return to the older uh, covenant ways of worship and to return to the Jewish community. This was their temptation, and the writer of Hebrews writes and exhorts them not to neglect meeting together both on the Lord's Day but also uh, during other opportunities of fellowship. 
So that was their temptation, loved ones. What is our temptation here at Grace in Orange County that moves us towards sometimes neglecting to meet together? It's, I'm sure you would agree with me, it's rarely because of persecution or rejection or opposition. We don't live in the same kind of danger that uh, the Hebrew Christians lived in the first century here in Orange County. Our temptations uh, are very different. It's not a result of hardships, but so often, if you think about it, it's a result of our prosperity. We have so many options on Sunday morning. We have sports and uh, the opportunity perhaps to sleep in, uh, the beach, Disneyland. Uh, these are all, if you think about it, these are all great things, good things, blessings, right, that we can enjoy. But they can become hindrances when, they, when we prioritize them over Lord's Day worship. And so the writer of Hebrews is writing to the first century church, and as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, he is writing through the Spirit to us this morning, encouraging us not to neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some. The Westminster Confession of Faith, which is a summary of what we believe, instructs us in this way in chapter 26, section 2. It's the chapter that explains uh, what it means to be the church, the communion of saints. The confession in in this section uh, summarizes it this way. It is the duty of professing saints to maintain a holy fellowship and communion in the worship of God and in performing such other spiritual services as help them to edify one another. What we see here is that the confession outlines the very practical ways in which we must bless one another, in which we are to, we might say, put our communion into practice. The duty that we read here is that we are to maintain fellowship in the worship of God. We are to maintain fellowship in worship on the Lord's day. And we know this. It's very clear from us, for us in Scripture because it is required in the law and the fourth commandment. And we also know, loved ones, that when we attend worship, we are blessed, are we not? It is a commandment, but it is also a blessing for us to attend worship on the Lord's day. But notice, as you consider uh, Westminster Confession of Faith 26.2 that we just read, the confession says that our regular participation in worship is not just a blessing to us, it's not just a commandment of God, but it specifically says that it is a blessing to fellow believers. It is a blessing to others. The confession here echoes everything that we just read in Hebrews. That we are to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. There is a direct connection between regularly meeting together, making it a point to meet together, and the encouragement that flows out of that. See, while regular participation in public worship is a blessing to us, We need to understand that it is every bit a blessing to others. And when we gather together for us to see one another, to be encouraged by one another, to build one another up, 
Another way to practice the communion of saints we see is that we are to meet together, but we are also to perform such other spiritual services as help them to edify one another. What the confession is explaining here is that we are also to meet together on days other than the Lord's Day. This might include meeting with other Christians for prayer and Bible study, sharing a meal together, uh, showing hospitality. Loved ones, the confession is merely summarizing what the Bible teaches us so clearly. That when we are absent from Lord's Day worship, when we're absent from uh, church events, from, from Bible studies, we're not only depriving ourselves of blessing, but we are depriving our brothers and sisters as well. We are hurting one another. Psalm 133 that we read this morning, as was noted, is short and sweet. Uh, Psalm 133 explains the blessing of our uh, union together in Christ. We read, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. This was a song of ascents that was sung by Jewish pilgrims on their journey to Jerusalem at festival time. This is a psalm that celebrates the rich fellowship enjoyed by like-minded pilgrim believers, by like-minded, we might say, Old Testament Christians at the time. And, you know, some of the language here might seem dated. What's the big deal about the oil and the dew of Hermon? That, that doesn't make sense, perhaps, in our modern context. But it's important to note that when he's talking about the precious oil and the dew of Hermon, both of these are elements that refresh the weary travelers on their way to worship God. These things point to the harmony among believers. These things point to the fact that when believers gather together for worship, there's a sense in which there is refreshment together, where we build one another up, where we strengthen one another, just like precious oil refreshes the worshipers on their way to temple worship, just like the dew of Hermon revitalizes those who are weary because of the sun's heat. Loved ones, what we see here is that a unified body of believers is good and pleasant. It is a thing that pleases God. We also see, thirdly, that we are to encourage one another. This means to encourage one another specifically in the faith. What we see in verse 25 of our text in Hebrews chapter 10 is that we're not to neglect meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, the writer of Hebrews is pointing out the fact that we are united in Christ, and in our union with Christ, we are running, loved ones, the race of faith together. We are fighting the fight together. We are brothers and sisters on the same 
pilgrimage. We're not in a contest with one another, but we are those who are fighting together, running together toward the same goals. The scriptures point this out so clearly. And we are not to be in competition with one another, to be divisive, but instead we are to seek the good of one another in this journey of faith that we are on together. I'm going to read some of the passages in the Bible that have that phrase, uh, one another, just to point out how instructive Scripture is to our community of faith. We read in John chapter 13, verse 34, that we are to love one another. Romans chapter 12, verse 16, that we are to live in harmony with one another. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25, we are to care for one another. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, we are to comfort one another. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, we are to submit to one another. And the idea behind all of this is that we are united in the same faith in the same body of Christ, and we are all therefore looking forward to the same Christ returning and saving us on that last day of ushering in the new heavens and the new earth that we are all longing for. Loved ones, what we see is that we are all in union together as we are drawn together by the same Lord, by the same gospel by the same baptism. And just in conclusion, what we see in these exhortations in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 15, these three exhortations that we've been considering over these past three weeks, is that what we are called to do as a church, as believers in Christ, what we are called to do is that we are to do what has already been done for us by Christ. Look at Again, verses 19 through 25. If you recall three weeks ago, we talked about the importance of us drawing near to God. Why? Because God has already drawn near to us through Jesus Christ. We were also instructed in verse 23 to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Why? Because God holds fast to us. He holds firmly to us through Jesus Christ. And thirdly, this morning, as we saw, we are to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Why? Because it is God who provokes us to love him. It is he who first loved us through Jesus Christ. We are to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works because it is God who, through Jesus Christ, first provoked us to loving him and to loving one another through the cross of Christ. He provokes us, he stirs us up by speaking words of encouragement to us through his word, by his care and concern for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Loved ones, we are called to love one another because he first loved us. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the rich truth of your word and for 
how you instruct us in the way we should walk and in the way that we should live as the body of Christ. We thank you for our church, that we have each other in this journey of faith. We ask humbly, Lord, that you would help us to love one another, to encourage one another, and to treat each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And bless us now, we pray, as we prepare to partake of this spiritual feast before us. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray.